Welcome. Diane Kamikaze here for WFMU. My podcast guest today is Gene October, vocalist for Chelsea. They have a new record out called Saturday Night, Sunday Morning. And we're going to go back in history a little bit with this man. Please stay tuned. We're WFMU. Gene October from Chelsea, welcome. Hello, how are you doing? And hello, America. Yes. You know, it's, it's great to be on air to uh, America, one of our favorite places, you know. Are you, um, are you being facetious? No, I'm being um, very good about it because a lot of good bands have come out of America. Who are your favorite um, American bands? And, you, and you're looking at Iggy and the Stooges, you're looking at the Ramones. You're looking at the Heartbreakers. You're looking at, um, you know, some The Seeds. You're looking at, uh, you know, some crazy stuff coming out. Frank Zappa, you know. You're looking at some great stuff coming out of America, you know. Always has been, um, you know, I mean, a very favorite thing of mine, especially when I was a kid, to listen to all these... uh, West Coast garage bands that were around in the late 60s, you know, Mm. influencing us all, you know what I mean? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I did want to know about your influences. I mean, you have a discography that goes on for pages and pages, like something like 14 LPs and countless 45s. Of course, the most recent Chelsea record is Saturday Night, Sunday Morning. Um, But I wanted to ask you, I mean, you were really a pivotal person in the punk scene responsible for securing the the Roxy, the legendary Roxy as a venue. What were you listening to and what was the thing that sort of had you decide to become really I, I would say um, Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie, you know, and that whole Mark Bolan and that, that, that whole um, <clears throat> British sort of... Um, rock and roll sort of uh David Bowie, Mark Bolan and kinda like um mad scenario that was going on there. And also America will not forget, should not forget we also knew about what was going on in the garage scene in in the West Coast, you know, of America. Mm-hmm. So that that was a big influence as well. And then when the Ramones hit you know, we all went, wow, now that's it, you know. So were the Ramones around before you formed Chelsea? No, they weren't. But, you know, what? all I'm trying to say is that having been brought up on all of that, the Bowie, the Mark Bolan, and, you know, the, 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 um, the, the reggae scene then as well, you know, was very important as well. All the stuff that was coming out of Jamaica mm-hmm. was, a, was an amazing influence as well, you know. 
I think. So, <clears throat> Dean, is all that coming together, you know, the, 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 the electricity of it all, you know, the way that we were... We got fed up of, um, you know, going out, getting wrecked, you know, all the time. We, we, we wanted to start something ourselves. Most of the big bands in England then who made it, i.e. the Stones, the Beatles, and that whole thing, you know, they'd all gone. They'd all gone to America. They'd all, you know, never saw them again, never saw them play again, all those all those big bands around in those days. And you've got to look at the faces as well, you know, the small faces, and yes. then the faces, the early Rod Stewart with Ronnie Wood, you know, that whole thing as well. You mm -hmm. know, Slade. And then progressing on to uh, an amazing thing with with David Bowie, you know, where suddenly you could paint your face anywhere you liked. You could wear any clothes you liked and walk down the street. And, uh, you know, everybody was doing the same, looking crazy. It was like a real injection to, to people and a, a kind of like a green light that was there. You know, that Mark Bolin and that David Bowie scene gave a green light for all the kids to do exactly what they wanted and look the way they wanted and do anything you wanted, you know. Mm. So we all went, yeah, we'll have a bit of that. And then you got to work. Yeah. Awesome. But, um, <clears throat> in that time, you had um, a big, uh, big problem in England, you know, um, you know, the streets, the streets, there wasn't a lot of money around. It was, everybody was skin, you know, it was just a really bad time. No work anywhere, you know. Right. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, what are we going to do? You know, and there's no work. What, what the hell are we going to do? So, oh, look, let's do it. Let's just do a rock and roll band, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, so consequently, everybody kind of like just got a band together. At least you could do a gig and make 50 quid or something to eat that day or something, you know. Right. And then, and you did more than, than form a band, though. You also, um, from what I understand, you were responsible for securing and setting the legendary Roxy venue up. Well, it, that was mainly to do with the fact that I'd dare to get a band together, mm -hmm. and um, the cheek of it, really. Oh. Um, consequently, of course, there was nowhere to play. So, you know, I needed somewhere for us to play. Mm -hmm. um, and there was an empty, empty Barkham club with a big basement in Covent Garden. Um, I popped in for a drink one night, and... Um, the place was just no one there, empty totally. And I said, uh, basically, well, I kind of talked him into it. I said, look, you know, you've got to sell the beers, you know, all these beers you've got, you know, you've got to sell them. How about letting me have it for a couple of nights a week? And, um, you know, we'll get a lot of punters in here to buy the beer, <laughs> basically. And I knew, you know, from hanging around... Portobello Road, Notting Hill Gate, you had the Clash Boys up there, you know, and everything, and you had people I knew hanging around at the clubs at night, and there was nowhere to play, basically. So I thought, you know, yeah, if I uh, 
talk this guy into it, it'll be somewhere for everybody to play. Wow. Let's... And I, I presume CBGB started the same, maybe, you know. It's just a place where everybody could just play. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and you actually pushed that and made that happen. It's amazing, right? Because the Roxy is legendary. Everybody knows about the Roxy. Yeah, it was a good place to play, you know. And, um, you know, it was a great basement, and it was right in the center of town, you know. And, um, you know, like all all good places, like GB's, that's right, in the center of town, CBGB's. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... You, you know, I thought, yeah, great, this is this will be the place, you know. We don't I mean, basically, we just stuck a PA in there and uh, a couple of speakers, you know, and some mics, you know. Well, you know, because we thought, you know, the punk scene, you don't need a, you know, big PA and a big mixing desk, just let everybody, it's a noise. So right. we were making the right noise and then um, the vocals came through, that was great. Right. So there you go. And then, of course, I couldn't do it anymore because I'd lost my uh, my band. <laughs> I was a quick turnover with Billy on guitar, mm-hmm. Billy Idol. Yes. And, um, and Tony James on bass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we kind of, as early as that, we kind of had a different of opinion. And um, we were... Um, went on and did, uh, they went on to do Gen X, Generation X, and I um, carried on getting some more boys for Chelsea. Meanwhile, the accountant who was at um, a shop on Portobello Road where we sold six second-hand clothes and everything, you know, any, any mad gear that anybody wanted, um, was into running a club, so... He, he stuck him in, and he got on with it, Andy Koswalski. And um, Roxy was born, and he brought over all these bands from America, Jane County, Wayne County, yes. Cherry Vanilla, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Heartbreakers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they were great. I mean, you know, when we saw all those guys, you know, it was like, yeah. You know what I mean? It was good. Good scene. A great scene. Fun to be involved with. Mm-hmm. You know, great fun. You know, and I'd say the same sort of thing, you know, if any... Basically, everybody can start their own scene. Find an empty club somewhere and go, you know, and turn it into a gig. Yeah. Well, and people can, but only certain people actually do. So well, it's up to people. You know, if they're bored and they don't like what's happening around them, don't like the music, what's going on at the moment on the radios or on the telly or whatever, mm-hmm. doesn't get them off. You know, should start their own thing. You know, start their own sound, start their own clubs. Right. That you is know. still so. You and their own look. If they want to look like that, just start it. And, mm-hmm. You know. It's easy. All you have to do is do it. <laughs> right, right. It's not hard. A Just man, do it. A man of action. Yeah. Absolutely. Just do it. Well, there you go. There you do go. So if you, um, 
If you met somebody who never heard Chelsea, what rec- what album would you tell them to listen to? Um, the first one, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, evacuate. Which we played. That was the first song I played today on the show. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good album. It is. And uh, and actually, faster, cheaper, better looking is bad as well. It's quite mm-hmm. good. That's that rocks, that one. 2005, that one. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, have you got that one? Yes. No, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, you know, I think, you know, we, we've been pretty um, sort of like, what would you say, um, always um, coming up. I mean, you just don't know what you're going to get from us. You don't know what I'm going to go through this year. And then I'm going to hit you with something else next year. <laughs> and, and It's the life we live. It's the people we meet. The life we live. The life we live is the next album. Did you ever think you'd be doing this for 40 years? Blimey. No, no, I never... Um, People always say, oh, do you remember that gig last year at uh, whatever? No, no. I mean, I don't think about it. I just just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people remind me I've been doing it for 40 years. I go, really? Yeah. I mean, it's no big deal. Well, you just played a couple of gigs recently. I know, just a, just. Uh, well, we're, last we're week. currently on tour in the UK, mm-hmm. and... Um, the next gig we're doing is the Rebellion Festival in um, in August. Uh huh. August eighth. Um, I mean, a lot of kids should know about that. It basically a, we get a lot of punk bands from uh, America. I think NXOF, NOFX are playing. Yes, NOFX are playing that festival. Yes, they're playing this year, and I think the Kennedys are as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we always have these bands over as well. It's basically three days of um, punk bands all day playing at this uh, festival in Blackpool at the Tower Ballrooms. And you're looking at something, I don't know, like 20, 25,000 punks, you know, over these uh, three days, you know, all watching these bands. Mm-hmm. And um, basically um, buying buying records and, and T-shirts and stuff and catching up on what, what everybody's up to, you know. Right, yeah. It's a good, it's a good um, little um, little thing to be together, you know, and or to be at, really, I think. Mm-hmm. And how is the new record doing? It was released in April, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Saturday night, Sunday morning, but it's received great reviews on... Um, I'm thankful for all of that, but I mean, I think you know it's good rock and roll album, and people know that. Mm-hmm. And and l- like um, like yourself, I think, unlike a lot of lot of people out there, once they uh, discover an album or listen to an album, they go, "Wow!" And to me, to be honest, sales wise, I don't know about that. I never check up on that. But to be honest, I'm not too bothered about that side of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I get the comeback of people, you know, who go, man, that album rocks, you know, good album. Well, and it's... That, 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 that's worth it then, you know. 
And it's different nowadays. I know that you used to work A&R for the IRS label many years ago. And I think that the there's just a there's a change, a shift in the music business altogether. So selling may not be as 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 looked at in well, the same way. I, well, they, they 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 do tell us that um CDs don't sell at the moment, but I think there's a change again over here. Um People are buying stuff again because they want it. They want they want to have that album uh, on a CD or vinyl. They want it. Mm-hmm. If they're not not happy with just downloading anymore, it's um, boring to them. They want the actual product, which you- is good. I know loads of people have gone out and bought bought the album, which is great. You know. Are you a record collector yourself? Well, yeah, I've got bits and pieces, you know. Mm-hmm. So you still have a working turntable? Uh, no. Okay. But I'm surprised at the, the amount of friends I say to, oh, do you have Because um, this vinyl thing is a new thing. Everybody's saying no, everybody wants vinyl again. Yes, know? yes, absolutely. They reckon it's taken off again big time. I think it's because of that whole thing of the big the big sleeve and the pictures and the whole artwork of the actual sleeve itself oh know? yes it's, um, it's a picture in itself that people can look at there's a lot of a lot of good info inside and everything mm-hmm. and to actually have the vinyl itself the record and pull it out is is quite something to look at. People can read and study it for about an hour before they even put it on. Right, exactly. And so, talking to friends, I'm surprised the amount of friends that do have a record player, you know. Mm-hmm. It's um, quite incredible. I know, I, I didn't think anybody had one of those anymore. <laughs> and then, um, you guys, you just also released the uh, Right to Work, the singles. Is that a vinyl release only? Well, no, I, I, I don't think that, that single's a vinyl release, but you could, there's a whole, um, there's a great hits album out, a double one on vinyl. Right, that's what I thought. I thought it was called Right to Work, sorry. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. yeah, the mm-hmm. actual record is called Right to Work. Uh-huh. The actual double seat, the double um, vinyl album with all the, the singles on it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I thought you meant the Right to Work single. That's yeah, it's a it, it's nice package, you know, I liked it. I, I had a look at it myself for an hour. Right. There's loads of, loads of lovely little things to read and... And all the singles are displayed lovely, I think. And it's quite amazing looking back at all those covers we did downstairs in the basement. Oh, right. You know, you just put a, a, a black cloth up against a wall and set a couple of lights up or whatever and went for it, you know, and that's the cover. Mm. You know. Cost? Nothing. Right, right. Just the, just the film when you um, took it down and got it... Um, Sorted yeah. out at the chemist. Yes, but you see, it was there again. It was all imagination of um, we did all our own covers, and they're great. You know, to look back on them. Oh yeah, I remember that. And that was fun. Now, who did the uh, the artwork on the uh, the No Escape Decide single that sort of has the MC Escher? Oh, Chris Bashford done that. Chris. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, wow, he's, he's, a, he's actually a very good. Um, 
good little artist. He likes to do a lot of um, graphics and all that sort of thing. He's good at that. Nice. You know, a lot of good at illustrations and graphics and, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's he's got a, that kind of little arty hand, you know, mm-hmm. although he's a drummer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess he's got... But, um, he's good like that, Chris, is, you know. Yeah, yeah, I love that cover. It's uh, mm. very, very cool. Yeah, it's 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 quite in depth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Know? Yeah, there's it's a lot a, to it. A very deep thing. Just when you thought you've seen it all, there's another little thing somewhere. Yes, you know? <laughs> yeah. one of those covers. You know, <laughs> it is little little things hiding in corners. Mm. Oh, speaking of little things hiding in corners, um, I read that you are in a scene in The Omen. During the rugby match? <laughs> Little things hiding in corners. Yeah, I did, actually. Um, How did that I, happen? I, I was at the... Well, I used to do, um, there again, the extra work just to be a body on a film. You know, it oh, okay. was 50 quid a day. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, um, <clears throat> just to get money, this uh, company would ring you up. Can you be at L Street for uh, 9 o'clock? Uh, and because I had my gear on, because I was doing a gig uh, that night, so I had my Ted gear on. Oh, you're <laughs> the... drapes and my brothel creepers and sort of like my hair all noshed up with a, a nice mad shirt on, do you know? And, um, yeah, it, it, um, I suppose put me next to Gregory Peck to begin with on the set. And it was wow. a, a scene where his son was in the uh, school playing a game of rugby and we were all watching. We were supposed to be parents and whatever, all watching it. And I'm standing next to Gregory Peck and I go, and we're having a go at the ref and I go, I dig Gregory Peck right in the ribs. (laughs) And I go, did you see that? And and they stopped the film. They said, look, that's overacting. No need to dig him in the... Because he complained about it, so they had me moved. (laughs) Which was funny. (laughs) So, I mean, I was in it. You could see me in it. Yes. It's the first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's actually a, 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 a rugby match. Yeah. And the crowd around it, and you can see me in there in my rock and roll gear. <laughs> <laughs> and I awesome. found that funny. He did actually complain. Oh, you get that bloke moved. You know, he's going a bit over the top. He'll kick me next. <laughs> see? <laughs> Isn't that great, though? It's like Gregory Peck knows, knows who you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we found oh, it funny. Yeah. All right, so then I have one more little piece of minutia that I wanted to ask you, because you're in the Black Sabbath video, Headless Cross, and you're the... Oh, the yeah. The Headless Cross. Yeah. How, how? Yeah, old um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Iommi and his pals were up at uh, up at the office, and they said, "Oh, Gene, come and do this. Uh, come and be a monk <laughs> on 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 the video." And I said, "Well, we're doing it." And they said, "They're doing it at Battle Castle." Oh, and wow. that's where they did it, Battle Castle, which is um, in Sussex. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, you know, just do the scroll with your finger, you know, yeah. and wear this monk's outfit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I did. You know, it was quite funny. The headless cross. Yes. I think um, Ronnie James Duo, I think, was on the vocal on that. Duo, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yes. But, um, 
Yeah, it was funny. Good. I mean, there you go. Sabbath. <laughs> Good band. Great Good old band. Birmingham, Birmingham, England band, no. mate. And was the originals? Yes. The original Mad Ones from Birmingham. Great stuff. Before Duran Duran. Definitely put Birmingham on the map way before Duran Duran. Oh, the Sabbath did, definitely. Yes, yes. Were you a Sabbath yeah. fan? And you got to look at the Sabbath were pre-ELO and all that, you know. Of pre-ELO, pre-Duran Duran, it was Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And it's still Sabbath. Yes. Still nice and heavy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there you go. Is there anything that you're listening to currently that you like? Anything new? Anything new? Yeah. Well, um, no, no, well, no. I've got to be honest. I haven't been listening for a while because obviously touring and writing the album and everything. I've been busy with Chelsea projects. Mm-hmm. You know, the faster, a cheaper, and better looking album, and then the Saturday night and the Sunday morning album, the new one. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. It's been taking my time up, and I think it's a good one. That actual good. track, Saturday night and Sunday morning, nice. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, Society. Why Johnny has no respect for authority. Hmm? Well, that's kind of, yeah. that's sort of how the, the it, it seems to me that that's it's the way that... Because people are skinned and they've got no future, they've got nothing to get involved in again. Mm-hmm. Everywhere they turn again, it's like... You know, they just can't get going in their lives again. So, but, that's why there's no respect. But you can always write music. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if you can't get it going, rock and roll will get you going. And, you know, you just have to play a couple of chords, make a noise, make some kind of noise. Maybe that is different. You know, Do anybody you... wants inspiration, really, look at the Velvet, early Velvet Underground. You know. Do you uh, play guitar, Gene? No. So how do you write? I do in my head. Really? That's all you need to do is play guitar in your head. So... I can play it better than any, any guitarist. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. Then how do you get songs out of your head? Amazing lead breaks and, you know, amazing structures in my head. But how do you get the structures in your head, out of your head, to get somebody to play them when you're sing, in a band experience? Sing it to them. Okay. So you're and like... They get, the, they get the chord off you and they get the... Uh, they get the... Um, the what are the breaks off you? You know what I mean. Whatever you you sing, sing the song to them. So well, and you, you certainly you certainly can sing. I bet I bet if you asked a lot of musicians and a lot of good bands, big bands, you'll find a lot of people do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I was just wondering what that process was. So I uh, mean, um, you know, it's the it's the idea. That comes out. Of course. You know? Mm-hmm. I do. So um, there's two... I've got a couple questions from listeners, and I know that you have to go. Um, one person wants to know if you're still in touch. Do you keep in touch with Billy Idol? Well, no, because he's busy. I'm busy. And um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't know where Billy is at the moment. Is he in LA? Is he in England? Yeah, I don't know. I think he's I an mean, LA guy. That, that, I mean, no, no disrespect, because last time I did see him, <clears throat> when we were in the States last, I think it was about 10, was it 10, 15 years ago or something like that? Anyway, last time I did see him over there, we had a drink and we had a chat. And he, he was really interested in what was going on over here. And have you seen so-and-so and, you know, catch-up he was playing, you know. What's so-and-so doing these days? <laughs> All that kind of question, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know... I mean, when we see people all the time, some of us don't see each other for a couple of years, but when you see someone, it's, hey, how are you? You know what I mean? Sit and have a drink and talk about things. But a lot of us are busy doing our thing. And then somebody else wants to know whatever happened to... uh Henry Badowski, Henry Days off of the uh, the Henry right Badowski. Henry went on to play with ATV, Alternative TV. Mm-hmm. And then he, after us, that's what he did. And then he got a solo deal with A&M Records. Um, I think he put out a couple of solo projects, a couple of albums maybe. But what happened to him after that, I, I don't know. Very good. And then um, I did want to ask you, um, Steve Lewins uh, just recently passed away. He was your touring... Oh, did he? Yes. God bless him. Yeah. Great bass, great bass player. Yes, and he was... Oh, uh, well, I send, I send, um, send my condolences to whoever, and um, God bless Steve. And uh, he had been in the Count Bishops and in Wilco Johnson Solid Senders previous to joining Chelsea. What was the um, the scene like with the R and B, sort of like the street R and B, like as the punk scene? Like, was it really was everything all together there? Well, well, all those guys were playing the pubs a lot, Mm -hmm. in the Hot Rods, Count Bishops, and all those people. You know, um, they were all um, Doctor Feelgood. Yes. You know, the whole scene, they were all playing the pubs and, you know, yeah, I mean, we used to watch them, but wasn't kind of, you know, what we wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? It was a bit too, um, shall we say, um, a bit too um, what we'd been brought up on and our older brothers had been brought on the, up on the blues and that American blues scene and all that. Right. You know? But very sixties, very yeah, man. You know what I mean. I'm hip. Um, that kind of thing, and no disrespect to it. It's great stuff. Jimi Hendrix, that whole thing. You know. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of moved on from that. So then, how did you get together with Steve? Did you? How did you meet him? Well, Steve. Steve was free. I met him on um, Portobello Road, and we we had an American tour to do, and I'd. Uh, a uh, month before I'd lost uh, the bass player. Mm-hmm. He um, had to do something, so I needed a bass player. So Steve slotted in and did that tour, basically. Oh, but um, with Steve, he kind of like loved uh, New York so much. I think he, he stayed there. Yeah, I think he might may have, or at least came back, because he is on the No because, Escape Because, I mean, scene. I was only using him for that tour. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, it wasn't a permanent thing, and, he, and you know... 
Mm-hmm. So I think you know he 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 was um, pretty sort of lost it in London, and he wanted to get, probably get something together over there. I believe he did. He did a few things over there, didn't he? I think I don't. I don't actually know what his discography was. I know he's on the Decide Seven Inch. Seven yeah, he was working. Yeah. He was doing a lot of um, solo stuff in bars and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. which he was get trying to get himself together. You know, but that's what Steve wanted to do. You know, he loved New York. He fell in love with it once he saw it. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to come back. And. But God bless him. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you brought him to New York. You helped him find what he loved. Well, you know, hopefully he was all right, you know, and hopefully, you know, Steve was Steve, and he was a great guy, and he, and he loved the blues, loved it. Mm-hmm. Big blues person. Yeah. God bless him. God mm-hmm. bless him. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, for yourself, especially, you know, as time marches on, what Chelsea song can do you still relate to best? Really? What song do I still relate to best? High um, Rise Living. Hmm. War Across the Nation. I think some of your songs were ahead of their time, No. Yeah, High Rise Living. Awesome. Have you got that? Um, I, let's see. I don't have that. should be on the Right to Work album. Yeah, I've only got, I actually have just a pile of seven inches here, and then I have the new (laughs) one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, you know, um, yeah, you can choose whatever you like. I mean, I love them all. Mm -hmm. You know, it was... um, so difficult to, and then Urban Kids. Oh Urban yes, Kids, yes, uh, yes. Which was um, produced by Kit Lambert, the great Kit Lambert. You know, I I don't actually. Oh, I do have High Rise Living. I don't actually know um, Kit Lambert. Kit Lambert was the manager of the Who. Did all the early Her- oh. Who productions on it, all their stuff. Oh wow! So so all their early singles. Mm-hmm. And um, bumped into him and said, "Would you like to come and do us quickly? I've mm. Got a day spare? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> wow! So he produced that one. Oh, super cool! Urban Kids. Uh huh. Wow. Which is a nice, nice. Um, Kit Lambert, if you Kit Lambert did all, if you look at uh, all the uh, early uh, Who singles, pictures of Lily, mm. my generation, all that stuff, it's Kit Lambert. Nice. Well, now I know. Thank you. Thank you for that. There's <laughs> <laughs> so, a bit of info for everybody. Yeah. Yay. Yay. I, you know, other people probably know. I just didn't know. Um, so, for yourself, are you planning to come to the states? I know you've got festivals well, to do yeah, this summer. Yeah, well, I mean, really, we want to do um, another another album because uh, we're getting that together at the moment. And um, yeah, probably late next year or something. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, if you do come to the states, you have my invitation to come here and do um, some guest DJing or play live at WFMU. And, well, I'll um, tell you what; it's been great to talk to WF. 
MU. Thank you know, New York City? Yes. You talk a lot. Let's have a look at you. Right. <laughs> well, I hope that nice you do. Nice to speak to you all. Love, thank you so much. And, Jean, thank you for being the person, you know, who, who really kicked off a lot of the legendary punk scene. You made yeah. a huge difference. And I'm so excited that you're still, you know, writing music, playing, performing. Thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, it's only rock and roll. It is. Thank you, Gene. Bye. And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you for tuning in. I'll have another one up as humanly possible. Of course, I've never claimed to be human. So who knows? Thanks to Liz Berg for handling the podcast duties in-house here at WFMU. And for WFMU, I am Diane Kamikaze. Twitter, Diane Kamikaze, one word. And Kamikaze has an E at the end, not an I. And Instagram, Diane Kamikaze, one word. Regular show is on Thursdays, noon to 3 p.m., at least as of July 2015. Who knows when you're listening to this podcast? Thanks for tuning in.